it may sound scary to talk with customers because it's uncomfortable. We all have a lot of things to do and now we need to block time on the calendar to go out there, schedule a call, talk to someone for 30 minutes, maybe give them an Amazon gift card. Like the whole thing is, is an ordeal. <laughs> but that's not the only way you can get user feedback. That's one way and that's very valid. But you can also run surveys. You can also look at your um, help desk management tool that you use and even spend some time on the live chat or on the, on the inbox just talking with customers. You can talk to internal team members from other departments. They will also give you tons of data around what's really happening, like the sales team or customer support. So there's no one size fits all solution, but what's really important, I think, is to make the commitment to spend a little bit of time just listening because otherwise it's never going to happen. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And today we're very excited to have Carlos Gonzalez de Villambrosia, CEO and founder of Product School, join us on this episode of the Human Insight Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Carlos, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. You're the CEO and founder of Product School. Can you tell us a little bit about what Product School is and, and maybe even the, the history of the company? Absolutely. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I started product school. I did it seven years ago when product management wasn't that cool. And now I think it's more, more mainstream than ever. Product, product school is a global leader in product management training. All we do is to help people build better products and grow their careers. And I've been bootstrapping for the longest time because I really wanted to ensure that the quality was there. This is more of a service than a product in a way. Like, we interact with students who invest their hard-earned money to grow in their career. So we want to make sure that their, the experience and the outcomes are there. And we recently announced a funding round of $25 million that will help us turbocharge our mission. So yes, in an, uh, at a high level, seven years forward, we are a community with over 1 million members. We've graduated to over 10,000 product managers. And all of the instructors who teach at Product School are not teachers. They are active product leaders that work at incredible companies such as Google, Facebook, Netflix, or Airbnb. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love how you have instructors there that are actually, you know, have that actually have real jobs in product management and are sort of, um, you know, obviously big, big part of the industry and and a big part of some of the leading tech companies. In terms of the the sort of history of the company um, and and the one million um, folks that have gone through um, the community, you said it's one million members, right? I'd be interested to know just sort of the data geek in me. How much of roles or titles coming into the or coming in have potentially changed over time? You know, because I think product management is a fairly newish discipline, and so and a lot of people find it in a lot of different ways. And so I'm wondering, you know, are you seeing more people enter the program that are actually product managers with that title that are just you know trying to get better, or is it still kind of a mix of people coming from lots of different backgrounds? It's changed over time. So when we started, we we're mainly focused on helping aspiring product managers get that first PM job. And when I say aspiring product managers, there are also different types. So if you think in terms of user personas, 
we can think of um, someone with a technical background, maybe a software engineer who has three to five years of experience in coding, and they want to become more of a people manager, but maybe a traditional MBA, two-year full-time program is not the best fit. The other type of user persona is more of the business professional that comes from a management consulting or finance background. They want to work in tech. They understand how how to interact with customers, but they might not feel super comfortable working with engineers. So product management is that nice hybrid that connects both technology and business. As the company evolved, we also went deeper into the entire product career path because getting a product management job is just the first step into many others. And we're seeing how many companies are now hiring VPs of product or chief product officers. That is fantastic. That really validates that there is a need for this role. And we create additional certifications to help existing product managers to get that next promotion. Got it. Yeah, that that's helpful. And it also kind of shows the uh, evolution of the industry over time, at least in the last seven years of, of you um, founding the company. Uh, congrats on your funding round. That's amazing. 25 million. Any any big plans for that um, that you, you're willing to share? You know, it's it's funny because, of course, and thank you for congratulating me. It's it's a good milestone, but that also comes with a lot of responsibility. And what means for us is that we want to accelerate this mission that we have, which is connect education with employment. And one way of been doing it is through consumers, consumer education. So anyone can take our trainings on live online. And then the other arm that we started developing relatively recently was our corporate training business. There are a lot of organizations who want to do this at scale. They already have product management teams. They're going through maybe digital transformation. They're trying to be more data-driven. And the product managers are obviously taking, a, they play a huge role in it. So we're doing a lot of in-house training for large organizations. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's some parallels there in terms of some of the work that that we do and I do specifically at user testing, which is helping teams, product teams, other teams um, kind of shift the way they're working as well by integrating kind of customer feedback into process, which I think is a big part of product management, which we'll probably get to in a little bit. Um, but in your, from your perspective, what's the role of a product manager in today's world and in, in 2021? I'm glad that you added in 2021, because if you asked me this question a few years ago, my answer would have been different. There's much more education right now and, and validation in the market. So we can get more specific. Like back in the day, I would start this answer by saying, well, this is what Product management is not, because a lot of people would confuse that with project management or even with being an engineer that is now helping other engineers. Well, product management for me at a very high level is a combination of technology, business, and design. Every company these days is using digital products, regardless of their industry. Doesn't matter if you are working on a super high-tech company in Silicon Valley, or you are selling shoes online, or you have a restaurant, any company is using software could be considered even a software company. So what that means for a product manager is that you are managing those, those pieces of software. Some of the software is, is yours. You're building it. You're building your own website. Some other pieces of software might not be yours. You are renting it. But you have to be in between all of these different stakeholders. You are in between the, the developers, the software engineers. You are in, you are in between the, the designers, the marketers. The funny thing is that you're technically not the best at anything. You pretty much don't code, sell, market or design, you just need to coordinate everyone to make sure that everyone is pushing in the same direction. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And I think another place where the product manager potentially plays in terms of the stakeholder is with the customer too. Like you're balancing the needs of internal stakeholders and then your customer needs as well. Yeah. And I don't remember where I heard this, but the product manager could be considered the, the user department. It's the person who represents the user in the room when the user is not looking. Yeah, I love that. You know, I've always kind of struggled with this notion of one person or one team in the organization kind of owning the customer understanding because some product teams um, will have like a UX researcher or somebody, or maybe they the UX researcher kind of floats between all of the different teams that they support. Um, but that person tends to be like the owner of customer understanding and the owner of vetting concepts or testing prototypes. And I love uh, just your kind of nod to the product manager being sort of overseeing the the and representing the user, because I think that is such a critical part of the job that everyone really should have a stake in. The other side of the coin is, well, if you don't really code, market, design, or sell, why are you here, right? Like, what type of value do you add? And I think it's our responsibility to prove that it is a need to bring the, the voice of the customer to the conversation, to align all the different stakeholders, to make sure that you are we're building the right thing at the right time. And even though, yes, technically we're not the ones, you know, literally shipping, we we need to feel comfortable playing that role as a head coach, where like when things go well, it's important to give credit to the team. And when things don't go so well, I think it's also important to take responsibility. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd, I'd love if you could pinpoint, I don't know, two or three skills that product managers need to be successful. When we created the school, the type of uh, users that were interested in breaking into product were very specific. And now we have much more diversity. Like back in the day, it was mostly software engineers who didn't want to code. Now that's not the case at all. Like we see everything, including engineers, of course. So the role of the technical skills is playing less relevance than before. What I mean by that is that, yes, you can still see to these days some companies saying in the job description, well, you need to know how to code. But the reality is that that with the evolution of the no-code tools, and now the creators have much more power to build, to connect with their users without knowing how to code. So I would say number one is to really feel comfortable creating and doing whatever it takes to ship something. And if that's with code, fantastic. If that's without code, that's great as well. But like not losing momentum and make sure that you can connect with your customer and, and, and build something for them, even if it's not perfect. The second one is, and, and this kind of stays constant, is the communication skills. Because if you're not the ultimate doer of anything, you need to work with people to create, to build great things. You need to feel comfortable communicating with them. And this is even more important now in a world where a lot of us are working from home. Because I remember um, not so long ago, people saying, well, the product managers need to be in the engineering role. There's no way we can work separately. Well, I think the market has proven that there are incredible organizations that work remotely and they can, they can make it happen. So I think feeling comfortable communicating however, however it is via Zoom, via Slack, via email, via voice, via in-person, whatever that might be. But like not forgetting that you're working with you humans at the end of the day, regardless of the technology that those humans leverage. And those for me are absolutely necessary. And if I may add a third one, because it's kind of rising. When I started product school, 
not too many people would talk about user research, to be honest. Now it's really, really hot. Like we realize that, yes, while some companies may have user research teams, which is great, we can't wait for that. The user, the product manager has to feel empowered to conduct their own research, to get data, both qualitative and quantitative. And this is different than being a, a designer or being a developer or being a marketer. It's, it's, being, it's wearing the user research hat. And that's something that it's very necessary these days as we think about iterating our product instead of creating a master plan and then shipping them and hoping for the best. Yeah, I, I think those are those are great points that that you brought up. Um, particularly like the third one, but I might be biased. Given that product is a newer discipline, you know, you've you've created a school for product folks to support them in their career as they develop. Um, as part of your curriculum, do they also kind of solve real problems or take on like a, a, a customer project or anything like that? I think that's the only way you can actually learn this mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, I can go for hours about the theory of road mapping, but if you <laughs> don't really talk with a customer and get feedback on the spot, we actually teach user testing as, as part of our curriculum. And that's been really eye-opening for a lot of students to first realize that, oh my God, my customers are not only people that I can grab on Starbucks nearby. Like you can really segment who your target customer is and have a real conversation with them like you and I are having. And and it also develops the curiosity for them to then go back to the drawing board, iterate their prototypes before they spend more engineering resources into shipping the final product. You know, it's interesting, I'm looking at your website, you have some of the best and brightest companies that are attending your, your school. So I'm sure that you're able to also learn a bit from the folks that are coming through your programs. And aside from an individual product manager, what do you think makes a great product team? Love that because the product team is made up of a lot of different people, not just product managers. I think of the product team, well, ideally the product team should be the company. Like I believe everyone is in product, including the CEO. But Let's go back to at least a more tangible definition of the product team. For me, it includes engineering, it includes design, and of course, product management. That is absolutely critical. And of course, this product team is going to collaborate with with marketing, sales, finance, legal, and and other departments. But I think of product as a connection between multiple teams here. What makes makes one of those teams high-performing, and I've been lucky enough to be in a situation where I can really see uh, really incredible product organizations thrive. It's really first is um, two things. One is alignment and innovation. And it's kind of a trade-off constant because if you focus too much on like just going for it and you forget about alignment with the team, you can end up with a Frankenstein type of product that yes, you shipped a lot of features very fast, but the reality is that you don't have enough time or data to validate that those features are right. At the same time, if you spend too much time with alignment, having meetings and making sure that everything is pixel perfect and all the templates are and everyone's speaking the same language, they're probably going to lose some velocity and that might be critical in your your go-to-market. So high-performing teams are able to balance both. They're able to make hard decisions sometimes, which means maybe we're shipping less and we're focusing more on technical debt, on making sure that everyone understands the vision for the product and really have a more clear strategy. And there are other times where it's time to go. So I, I think that it's a lot of, um, it's a little bit of an art and a science at the end of the day, because yes, there are a lot of frameworks and, and tools and they all help the PMs, but there's also 
some experience that you can only acquire when you are in the trenches and you have to, you know, like the worst thing that can happen is that you just go with the flow. There are so many products out there that have too many features and shutting down a feature is a really hard decision. And a lot of people don't make it because of fear. And I, I don't blame them. It's a scary decision, but you are a product leader for a reason. And you have to make the hard decisions in terms, in terms of features, in terms of team members. Like you, only, you can only go as fast as the slowest member of your team. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. So, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you talk about user testing and in your product school and um, you believe that the product manager and others on the product team um, should be representing the customer and pulling in their feedback. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Can you talk about uh, your take on the role that customer input and feedback plays in a product manager's kind of day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, simple terms. Data is great to tell you what's happening. It gives you kind of a snapshot. But at the same time, data is not enough. And there's some, there's some qualitative information that you can only get by interacting with users. Users usually tell you the why. Why are they doing what they're doing on your website? So the combination of both is really important. Now, there are large organizations that might have a user research team or, or user insights. And that's fantastic because they can do a lot of the heavy lifting but there are a lot of smaller organizations that don't have this type of team. So it's usually on the product manager to run this type of user research. And even in larger organizations with a lot of resources and, and user research and product marketing and product design and data science and all of that, I think it's a good practice for people to feel comfortable just talking with customers. The same way it's a good practice for people to feel comfortable accessing data and not just waiting on the data team to provide information. Yeah, it makes it it makes a ton of sense. I always think of the game of telephone um, when you're relying on somebody else to get customer feedback and input for you. You know, it, it's easy to sort of interpret the feedback differently um, because you didn't see it yourself. And I also think kind of making sure that you're able to connect to, to your point, have a conversation, and build some empathy with your customers just helps uh, inform not only the decision that you might be making in that moment but also builds that knowledge that you can kind of tap into over time as you make more decisions. Yeah. One thing I would add about this, uh, Janelle, is that it might sound scary to talk with customers because it's uncomfortable. We all have a lot of things to do and now we need to block time on the calendar to go out there, schedule a call, talk to someone for 30 minutes, maybe give them an Amazon gift card. Like the whole thing is is an ordeal. (laughs) But that's not the only way you can get user feedback. That's one way and that's very valid, but you can also run surveys. You can also look at the um, help desk management tool that you use and even spend some time on the live chat or on the, on the inbox, just talking with customers. You can talk to internal team members from other departments. They will also give you tons of data around what's really happening, like the sales team or customer support. So there's no one size fit all solution, but what's really important, I think, is to make the commitment to spend a little bit of time just listening because otherwise it's never going to happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I love that idea of tapping into other teams within your organization. Like you said, there's a wealth of knowledge that lives <laughs> within the building or uh, you know, within the organization now that we're post-COVID. Um, but but yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. The pandemic, you know, that's kind of it's changed a lot in the last, you know, 
18 plus months. How has the pandemic changed the product industry and, and even the need for product managers? Well, I believe it's never been a better time in history to build digital products. And that has been accelerated and validated by the last, you know, by the pandemic, because a lot of businesses were forced to offer their product or services online. That was their only channel. And in some cases, those businesses were selling online. So now they had to really accelerate to, to survive. And the other piece to it is the remote work. We have seen how a lot of companies, both large and small, were able to collaborate remotely and embrace that instead of, yes, you know, you know survived and tried to, to, to do whatever it could. Like we've seen how organizations are actually not going back to their buildings. So if you put those two things together, that has that pushes the product management industry even faster. We're seeing companies that even companies that were downsizing were still hiring product managers because they had to focus more on, on online. And that ultimately is what we've what we've seen in our own business. Our company tripled in the last 18 months. And a lot of our uh, we have a lot of hiring partners that are hiring our students. We literally need more supply to make sure that the, the companies hiring have enough product managers. I think we are scratching the surface. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually you brought up something I, I you know, I'm interested in digging into a little bit more. You mentioned kind of this shift to, to digital, right? Or the shift to like online channels, essentially overnight back in March of 2020, we saw a lot of it with our customers as well. When you think about a t- maybe even like a legacy business, right? So a company that is not digital first, and they say, you know what, our big kind of focus this year is to go through digital transformation. What does digital transformation mean to a product manager who might be in at that company, working at that company that is kind of focused on this for the foreseeable future? It's such a broad term that is really hard to, to define. I'm having a hard time actually defining that because I think each company will have their own definition. What I can tell you is some of the work that we do with this type of legacy organizations that are like, like a bank, let's, let's not even say the name, but they, we work with a lot of banks or insurance companies that are now trying to figure out how to thrive in a digital world. And it's hard to tackle this. I mean, we need top-down support. Obviously, uh, a lot of these organizations are really making changes at the top. They are hiring a chief product officer or VPs of product. So they are sending a message about how important product is in their organizations. Product is not a sub-function of marketing or technology anymore. Like They have a seat at the table. So that's great. Now, obviously, making a change in a 10,000-plus people company takes time and also has a lot of resistance. So what we do is we usually identify groups, product teams, groups that are already embracing certain uh, principles around agile, around automating, around like feeling more comfortable with uncertainty, working on sprints, they act as champions. They first, we work with them to make sure that they are set up for success. They start acquiring some quick wins. And we use that as an internal case study to then incorporate other people and together co-create a methodology because we can't also expect to show up with a book and be like, and now everybody's going to follow this process. We also need to be agile ourselves and and, and understand the, the environment to make sure that we go together through the right steps. But I have to say that I haven't seen a single company in the last three years that I've been doing corporate training. I haven't seen a single company that pushed back 
on being more detailed or more agile? Yeah, I think I really appreciate your your answer there on that. And, and um, you know, and I think you're right that digital transformation is very broad and can mean many different things to many different companies. And the big takeaway for me and, and what I'm learning and seeing, and I feel like what I just heard with your answer is that a big part, like the, 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 the things that are important there from a product perspective, right, is to, you know, have executive support, also lean into the teams that are kind of adopting some of these best practices already or are kind of hungry for it. Um, and realize that it's actually not just switching to maybe a new suite of tools or supporting a new channel, but it's actually complete, you know, culture shift and, and change management that has to happen. And it takes it takes time, but I think taking the, the first step is to say, I want to change. And then together we can co-create the right, the right solution. One thing I would say, and I've seen like kind of what are the, the most successful companies embracing this type of change? are the companies that really go the extra mile, are the companies that are not just, okay, so this is what I need to do. I need to do a stand-up meeting every morning, and then I have to look at my backlog, and then I'm going to use this tool to do a little bit of my 30 minutes of user research to check the box. That Those are all tactics, and while they are important, they don't really change the culture. So changing culture requires a lot of efforts from so many different angles and a lot of time. But the good news is that it's happening and we can see examples of organizations that are really, really thriving in the digital world and they weren't digital first. Yeah, those are that's a great point. As someone who's been in the product space for your entire career and you also you know are, are teaching product managers, I'm sure in the same way that I like to geek out about customer feedback and customer experience and usability even, um, I'm sure you geek out a little bit about, about products. And I'm curious in your opinion in the last you know five to 10 years or so, what do you what what product or technology even do you think has had the biggest impact on our lives? Well, I mean, obviously for, for me it was internet. Um like I can't imagine my life without internet these days. And then probably the next step was mobile and i'm very excited to see what what happens next and i think one of the exciting things about being in product is that we get to create the future it's a lot of talking around artificial intelligence and how the machines can replace us but i see that as an opportunity i don't think our jobs are going anywhere i actually think we are the ones creating the machines so i think it's an incredible opportunity to leverage technology to augment our capabilities and together, you know, make an even bigger impact. And actually on that thread, I mean, we, you know, with, with the notion of product kind of um, creating the future, you know, we often hear threads around innovation, right? And, um, but then you also hear about things like best practices. And in particular, I'm thinking even about um, like design best practices, um, but there are other obviously best practices. And when you think about, <clears throat> balancing those two things, best practices versus innovation. How do you balance those two? Like when should a team be innovating versus when should they be following best practices? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Totally. Because in a way, when we teach product management, we also show some of those best practices, not only in design, but in other disciplines within product. I think it's important to know your options and know what best practices mean. Like we work with a lot of product managers who have only worked at one company. 
So their view of product management is very specific. Maybe it's B2B SaaS, but that might be different if you go to a B2C marketplace, for example. So first, it's good to know, okay, these are the different types of products. These are some of the best practices that could be agreeable across different industries, but there are some specifics that are good to know. Once you understand kind of the, the lay of the ground, then I think it's also important to create your own practices. And then you can you can revisit those. But I'm not a believer in following the scrum ceremonies to the T. It's just impossible. I think it's easier for a product manager to adapt to what the team is doing and obviously try to shape it so we're all you know, under the right conditions. Instead of imposing an entire engineering or design team, well, and now we need to follow this book because I just read it and someone told me it's great. So, you know, I think going back to this uh, balancing act between art and science, but without really understanding best practices, without really understanding your capabilities, the tools that you can use out there, it's just very hard to start creating because you don't really know. You're just hitting in the dark. And I think that the the later point here is the community piece. it gets to a point where when you, when you spend enough time working in product or building different products, we all start speaking the same language. We kind of start group thinking too much. So I think that having a peer, a group of folks, not just one single mentor in your life, but maybe a peer group of folks you can tap into depending on different situations can give you a fresh perspective about specific challenges. And then it's up to you to decide what you want to do with it. But the, even personally, the way I like to learn and approach business is always by taking different opinions, not just from the team or from the data, but also from other people outside of my bubble. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to move over into the lightning question round. So just a handful of questions and whatever comes to mind is uh, com- comes to mind. So speaking of books, you just mentioned, uh, you know, leaders reading a book and then having everybody kind of follow the practice. Do you have a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? I do have a book that I read and I love, and it's called Connect. It's from when a um, coach called Carol, Carol Robin. She is a professor at Stanford and created this class called Interpersonal Dynamics. This book, Connect, is really life-changing for me because it talks about how to connect with people, how to enhance your relationships, not just with your workmates, but also with your family. And for me, that's something that I struggled with. And I, as a, as a founder, you know, I, I used to believe that everything was a distraction. I had to go all in and I burnt out multiple times. I didn't take care of my health, my mental health. And, and, you know, now I try to be much more aware and invest much more time into building meaningful connections. Awesome. Sounds like a great book. How about a piece of advice that you might give someone trying to convince others that it's a good idea to invest in and conducting some customer feedback? <laughs> well, I would just say, why not? What is the downside? I love it. Short and sweet. Uh, it, yes, it's a, it's a good point. And thinking about product and thinking about experiences in general, um, I think we can often find poor experiences that we talk about or tweet about, um, but more, I think it's more difficult to, to find really great experiences. Um, so what's a great experience that you recently had and what made it so great? Are you talking about um, work or? I'm talking about anything. It could be work or personal. When I'm trying to think. Well, the most 
a huge milestone for us was to close this funding round. And because we've been bootstrapping for seven years and we finally decided to bring in a partner. And that wasn't an easy decision because uh, we were, we've been profitable since the beginning and we wanted to maintain the quality of our product. I was afraid that by growing too fast or by, uh, I would have to you know, follow other people's uh, metrics instead of my user metrics. So it was really, we actually ran our own investor research process, literally, where we maintained conversations with a lot of different groups. We, it was more of a dialogue than, oh my God, I need the money. I'm going to go with a PowerPoint and whoever gives me the biggest check, I'll go with them. So there was always an option, which was to walk away. And, and I think that was important for us to recognize that while that opportunity, it sounded intriguing, we didn't have to. So that at least gave me the peace of mind to know that I could make the best possible decision with the information that I had. And I'm very lucky that I found an incredible investor partner that really shares our own vision, has the patience to build a long lasting brand and do it in a sustainable way, which means focusing on the user first. Because this sounds great from the outside. A lot of us have been working in product or user research and we understand these principles. But you talk to a lot of finance professionals who've never been in product and you tell them, you have to think about the user first, user long-term. They're like, well, let's show me the spreadsheet, you know? So um, fortunately, there's also a lot of incredible finance professionals who, who understand long-term vision and, and care about the user. So it sounds like that whole process was a great experience. The whole process was, I mean, it was tough, I don't know to lie, but closing the process, first of all, making the decision finding the right partner and then validating, we've been working together for a few months now, validating that that was the right decision has been really, really incredible for us and and for the entire team. That's awesome. It's a great story. So we talked a little bit about the future and and how product kind of, you know, is is working to define what that future is. When When you think about the future of product, what are you most excited about? So we actually create an annual report title, The Future of Product Management, uh, because it, it changes so much and we have access to so many product leaders that we want to learn from them as well and try to understand patterns. So there were at least three themes that we identified this year. One was no code. Like there's this race of uh, visual tools that allow creators to build without coding. The second one is the rise of the chief product officer. This And I I think the stat that we got is that at least one third of the Fortune 500 companies have a chief product officer already. And I'm sure in a few years from now, we don't even need to highlight this because every single company will have a chief product officer. And then the third third thing is, is to see how these teams are becoming much more diverse. The product, the idea, the archetype of the product manager is changing. Now we're seeing diversity across genders, across geographies, across professional backgrounds. And I think that's a great thing because as we build global products, we need to represent that user internally. And it's really hard to have just one person wear the user hat. We need a diversity of opinion and perspectives. Yeah, those are three three great themes that are sort of to kind of think about as we move to the future of product management. All right, well... Thanks so much, Carlos, for, for joining us today. And, and um, we hope to have you back on again soon. And uh, thanks for your time. Thank you as well. And if I can be helpful in anyone, to anyone listening, feel free to connect with me on, 
LinkedIn, and I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. Awesome. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast, and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play, so you can never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.